The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Gotham City Gazette, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Batwoman. Please welcome my co-host, Dimitri Wijasinger. What's happening, Gotham City? Millie Wood. Hello, Gotham. And Professor X. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 3, Episode 11, which was titled Broken Toys and aired February 2nd, 2022, 2 Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Just when it seems things can't get worse, Batwoman's identity is once again at risk of being exposed, and some of Gotham's most villainous unites. Sophie joins Luke on a mission and Alice gets into Mary's head. A little note, this episode was directed by one of our very own and listeners know I don't mean my fellow podcast co-hosts. I mean, because I feel like we're a part of the Bat family. I mean, I mean, Dimitri ends up getting read for filth by the Bat woman writers team like every week on Twitter. So so we're a part of the family. And uh, Cameron Johnson, who plays Luke, directed the episode. There you go. Fun little fact. So let's talk about... We actually have a lot to talk about. But you know what we're going to talk about first? Wildmore. Because there... Yes. Yeah. I had a feeling. There was a lot that happened with the wild and the more. We got more wild as the episode progressed. We had emotional revelations. We had a heart-to-heart. We had confusion. Not in a disorder, I'm just saying. But but at the end, we had the sex. And it was kind of good, even by CW standards. You know, uh, we couldn't get the pants off. We broke a lamp. Someone's headed downtown. Professor, I'm going to ask you first. We got a lot of Wild Moor. We got more Wild as the episode progressed. What did you think of the Wild Moor developments? And what did you think of the heart-to-heart that Ryan had with Sophie? Uh, you know, I thought it was all uh, great. I think they, they did a great job of sort of keeping everything on the back burner. Uh, you know, Sophie's considered, you know, continuing resentment uh, towards Ryan uh, because Sophie really put herself out there uh, for Ryan and Ryan shut her down, basically. So uh, I like the fact that they, they kept that going, even when, you know, the two of them weren't together. You know, Sophie was still talking about it with Luke, and Luke was pressing for details, which was great. Uh, the resolution in the bar was fabulous, um, and uh, and yeah, a very you know enticing sex scene. Although looking at it now, remembering the Cameron Johnson directed that, how awkward would it be for two actors to have one of their fellow <laughs> actors directing them in that scene? Okay, Javicia, could you just move your head a little higher? And you, that would just be weird. Dimitri. The president, you are the president, you are the king of the wild moors on social media. So come on, you want to talk about this. Let's talk about wild moor, everything wild moor. But but actually, wild moor fan and as someone who's really enjoyed this pairing, um, I was kind of disappointed. I disagree with the professor um, in the uh, the sort of heart to heart. First off, I didn't get the impression last episode that Ryan had pushed Sophie away explicitly so much as she, like, didn't have time to deal with it right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I can understand, you know, I mean, dating, you, you're constantly trying to read signals. I can understand so- Sophie getting the short end of it, but I feel like it was kind of overblown. And then we have this, like, the, overblowing it gives them an excuse to shove this speech in, which I, I hate because it is a speech that's in literally every other CW show. I've, I push people away. I'm not used to getting close to people. I'm scared <laughs> that if uh, if I get close to someone, I'm going to lose them. So I don't get close to people. And uh, blah, 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 blah. my voice goes down two octaves. And, you know, Oliver Queen, Clark Kent in Smallville, every goddamn hero on the CW is like, uh, I can't get close to people. Um, and I really wish they would just do something different because... That's not the impression we get from Ryan at all. She very quickly became very close friends with Mary. Like, she gets close to people. Um, She was very, almost, you know, ruiningly loyal to her her girlfriend from the shelter. Um, And that almost wound up, you know, um, you know, detracting from her, her, like, duties as Batwoman. Mm -hmm. We see how genuinely conflicted she was ryan is a person who gets close to people she just didn't have time the last 45 minutes we saw her so that felt really shoehorned in granted it's easy to forgive when they uh when they progress past that speech because oh my god there was so much beautiful on screen um and one thing i appreciate um about that scene um, obviously there's a, a lot of things a lot of people can appreciate about that scene but one thing I appreciate is it's very easy for you know, the writers the directors, everybody to be like there's two beautiful women having um, a good time with each other, we don't need to put any effort into this, we can just let it be and we can end the episode that way and nobody would complain and yet, you know, there, there's those little humanizing moments that I feel really warm this show in a way that other shows don't have. Like, you know, fumbling with the with the jeans and then Sophie being like, ah, I got this. Like, it, it just, um, it's something so subtle, but it adds, you know, it adds a comedic moment. And it also adds some warmth to both of these characters who we've come to care about a lot, uh, like not just them getting together, but both of them individually. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was really well done. I wish we had gotten there in a better way. Okay. That's interesting. So the professor is on one side of the spectrum. Dimitri is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Millie Wood, where do you stand? Do you agree with the professor? in his enjoyment of it and and enjoyment of, of where the storyline progressed, or are you a little persnickety like Dimitri? I mean, he is the King of the wild moors. So uh, his expectations were really, really high in regards to any sort of wild moor development. Maybe that's understandable. So Millie Wood, tell me what you think. I think I have to side with the, the professor on this. I mean, I alliances are forming and this isn't even big brother. (laughs) Not yet, no. Um, (laughs) I don't know, I I didn't bother. I think, honestly, at this point in the episode, uh, when she had given that conversation to Sophie, and we'll discuss, like, what happens, but it just, that was the theme of the episode, and by that point, I was just like, kind of, okay, might as well just give another person that's pushing people away and and hiding behind XYZ um, as a defense mechanism. Um, I feel like it it does make sense for Ryan, because she has been a little bit um trying to deny her emotions in general i think especially when it comes to like personal relationships so for me it, it made sense yeah it's cliched but um at the same time it's a cw show so yeah i don't have the high expectations there and and the follow-up i feel like kind of wiped up any like little clichedness it has and definitely made up for it that way so i kind of just enjoyed it for what it was yeah, I I will agree with both you and the professor, Millie. And I'm not saying Dimitri's wrong. He has his opinion, and I respect it. 
but I didn't mind it as much. Sure, we got a little bit of superhero cliche. Um, I will actually give Dimitri um, a little backup on what he said in regards to Sophie's, um, what would be the right word, interpretation of, I guess, everything that happened in the previous episode was a little strange because I myself was also questioning, much like Dimitri, like, where are these feelings coming from, Sophie? Like, why do you feel like she brushed you aside? I mean, she had to save the fucking city from a dam. You know what I'm saying? Like, she had shit to do. She had an ultimatum from Jada Jet. I mean, shit went down in the previous episode. Y'all saved Mary and thwarted Poison Ivy. There was a lot. So, uh, Ryan, looking, you know, deep into your eyes and telling you that y'all are a thing, maybe you can wait, you know, like a beat and uh, this, that, or the other. So, I agree with you in regards to that, Dimitri. But I didn't mind what Ryan said to Sophie. And because we got a lot of backup in regards to that with what we learned about Jada and her personality and how she reacts to people and things, I was like, okay, so this isn't just a generic, you know, I'm a superhero and this is the trope that I'm giving you today. There was some sort of, um, you know, uh, what would you call it? There's, there's a familial trait, apparently, that Jada passed on to Ryan. So I was kind of cool with that. And yes, they smashed. And it was good. Although, let's be real. Let's be real. They had sex in probably the same fucking room where she was having sex with Kate. Come on, y'all. Come on. We all realize this, right? Sophie. Who? Sophie and Ryan had sex in the same room where Sophie had sex with Kate. I know you're being cheeky, aren't you? But, I mean, they did smash all up in that room. I'm just saying. They probably broke a lamp, too. I I feel like the show is done, like, um, like, dealing with Kate's legacy at this point, like... Okay, I feel good. like that's something that's not yes. going to be addressed. Like, it's just like... I hope not. At, at Although point, it was today. Like... Well, it wasn't today. What I mean, it was yesterday, though. There was a little line that I liked. We oh, didn't discuss Luke. it because it had to deal with Luke. But um, there was that little line where uh, Luke was like, oh, yeah, well, come on. You know you got to type. And that's the same shit that I've been saying about Sophie. But Sophie was like, no, I kind of was digging her before that. And he was like, when she was a criminal? That was spectacular, wasn't it, Professor? I thought when he was talking about her type, he was referring to Montoya. Oh. Because that's the last person that, uh, that Sophie was with, and it's been, you know, a couple of years since Kate. And, you know, Sophie was, you know, smashing all over town at the beginning of the season. I mean, you know, so, um, girls got to do what Yeah, I, I didn't immediately do. make the connection to uh, to Kate, but I think you're right in retrospect. Yeah, he must have been talking about Kate. I didn't get that at the time. I, just, I honestly thought it was a Montoya reference. Yeah, because then she was like, oh, no, not – I knew it before the suits, or I was digging her before the suits, which is nice to know. Yeah, even though they had yes, a little I bit think, of – no, go ahead, Professor. I, no, I agree. I think that was that was an important line because it shows that, you know, this is a long-standing thing. Of course, we've known it, you know. Dimitri's been wild more since, you know, pretty much day one. Um, but to get one of the characters to admit that, yeah, this is something I've been dealing with for some time. And it, it sort of, you know, puts, you know, her, her you know, uh, you know uh, her uh, promiscuity at the beginning of the season, you know, in a different light. You know, she's someone who's pining after someone and, and doesn't know if she'll ever be with that person. So, you know, she is sort of losing herself in these meaningless one-night stands, which is, you know, again, a bit of a trope. Uh, but it's something that you're more likely to see men doing than women. So it's, you know. Yeah, kind of progressive in that respect to see, uh, you know, sort of an understanding of, of how Sophie was behaving. And even, you know, her hooking up with uh, with Montoya sort of, you know, is explained by her frustration and her feeling that, you know, Ryan is constantly shutting her out, that, you know, she's there with this person that she adores, but feels, you know, she's never going to be with her. Uh, it sort of, you know, explains uh, you know, what she did a little bit. Plus, she had been drinking pretty heavily. I mean, come on. But there you go. So let's go from this heart-to-heart to another heart-to-heart. And let's be real, there were a lot of heart-to-hearts in this damn episode. And the other heart-to-heart that I want to get into is actually with Ryan and Jada Jet. It was a heart-to-heart under duress. I mean, I would assume it's kind of hard to open up emotionally when you have a gun pointed to your head. 
but that's exactly what happened. We'll get into the zazz of it all in, in a moment, but let's focus specifically on what was said between mother and daughter, because we got a lot of information about Jada Jet and what she did in regards to giving Ryan up. It turns out she didn't pay off a doctor $2 million to, in essence, quote-unquote, get rid of Ryan. That was supposed to be Ryan's money that was going to be given to a loving family that was going to adopt Ryan so that Ryan could have anything and everything she ever wanted. Unfortunately, the doctor took it and this, that, or the other. Uh, Jada, uh, there was a lot of... um, there, there was a lot of emotional conversation from Jada than I think we've gotten, period, since we've known her on this series, which was interesting. And uh, interestingly enough, we did not get the name of the father, which I was like, come on, if, if you're about to get shot in the head, Jada J, like, you need to at least spill the tea on who, you know, Ryan's dad is. But we did get um, a an emotional sort of... Um, end to this storyline for this episode on a balcony, which we love a feelings balcony here in uh, the Arrowverse. Uh, we also learned that that Jada's father's name is Ryan, and so that's why Ryan is named Ryan, but I always assumed that the woman that adopted probably named her Ryan, because I would assume that the woman that adopted last name is Wilder, but now I'm very confused as to where the name Ryan Wilder comes from. Jade also learns that uh, that Ryan is Batwoman in this episode, which means that she screw, screwed over her daughter twice within the past six months. Uh, which, you know, I mean, track record, I guess. Millie Wood, let's start off with you. Everything Jada Jet and Ryan Wilder. What did you think of everything that Jada said? Did you buy it? Uh, do you now understand her a little bit better? When you asked that, because that was like my first, I guess my pessimistic side was like, I don't know if I believe Jada just like conveniently saying, oh yeah, the money was for you. But like on the flip side to sympathize with Jada, like I think it makes sense. Like you're making a hard choice. You don't want to like go check on see if the doctor stole the money and, and the kid that you gave up is fine. So um, I was dubious, but I think at the end of the day, she did have good intentions. Um, and I was surprised that we got the conversation this episode. I wasn't really expecting it so soon. I, I thought she was going to be a little bit more uh, ice-walled emotions for a little bit longer. But uh, as you said, kind of when you're under duress, it kind of brings out emotions. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, both, um, both actresses did an amazing job. I think the confrontation and, and just how that all played out um, – wasn't too heavy-handed, but I think it just hit the right nose as it did. I do wonder if it, it this is like kind of tying up the storyline in a quote-unquote little nice bow, or um, because they've made up and now Jada knows that Ryan's Batwoman, is she, are we going to see her again next season, or is she going to be kind of pushed to the side? So I'm wondering what that this part of the storyline means for Jada's future. Because I, I really enjoy it, and, and adding more color and adding um, this depth to her, I think is super interesting. And having that element for Ryan, too, um, brings that more as well. All right, Millie Wood, you are brilliant because you have just set up a follow-up question that I was going to be asking the professor. But now I'm going to ask it to you as well. So the professor is going to cheat a little bit because he's going to hear the question right before I ask him the question. Millie Wood, you are a killer. You're like a stone-cold killer. You love death, destruction, and mayhem. The professor, many months ago, said that he thinks Jada Jet is going to die. We just had this beautiful episode where Jada Jet opens up about everything except who the, the baby daddy is. Do you think Jada Jet's going to die within the next two episodes? Honestly, at the beginning of the season, I would say yes, but um, I don't think so. I guess maybe I'm personally, I don't want her to because, like, poor Ryan has gone through enough trauma. We don't need to put her through that. Um, I don't think she is. That is saying that if they can get the actress back, I definitely don't think they'll be killing off Jada. Now, if she doesn't want to return, they might off her. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that does make sense. Professor, you already heard the question. You made a bold prediction many, many months ago, episode maybe one, two, or three, one of those. You said Jada Jet would probably die 
by the end of the season. You can't afford someone like Robin Givens and all that kind of stuff. I understand all the, the financial stuff. But after this episode, are you still 100% sure? Do you think maybe they might keep her around because of the father mystery? Or, yeah, what do you think about the Jada Jet situation? As well as, what did you think of Jada Jet, period, in this episode? Uh, you know, I liked it. I thought her scene with uh, with Ryan was very strong. Um, I don't know, you know, whether we should necessarily trust what she says, based on the fact that Jada has been very sketchy uh, in the past, but in the logic of a CW show, I don't see anything was given to us to give us a reason to doubt her sincerity in that moment. She thought she was going to die. She admitted her truth and, uh, and you know, managed to reestablish the connection. My reasons for thinking that she's going to die are, you know, it's a CW show. you got to do something to make your, your, uh, your, your titular character really sad at the end of the season. That's, you know, very much a CW trope. Um, so if she's going to have a relationship with Sophie, I think they, they will want to take something away from her as well. And also, you know, presumably before Jada does die, if she dies, you know, she will clear Batwoman's name and, uh, you know, uh, stop trying to attack uh, Wayne Enterprises. I did love the scene, you know, during the scene with uh, uh, with Ryan uh, and, um, uh, and Jada after uh, Jada figures it out. And by the way, if she could figure out from the way that Ryan moved that she was Batwoman, wouldn't Zaz have figured that out as well? <laughs> Maybe it looks different from, you know, from the person who's being hit rather than the person just standing on the side who's really only seen Batwoman in action, what, once or twice, as opposed to Zaz, who's been up close and personal with Batwoman. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do, I, I like uh, I like Jada. I, you know, I like her a lot more now than I did at the beginning. But, yeah, I think she's kind of superfluous, assuming that Ryan regains control of Wayne Enterprises and, you know, Batwoman, you know, returns to, to having that. Jada is unnecessary. And honestly, it's one of those, you know, superhero tropes that, you know, the most dangerous thing that you can do in, in one of these shows or, you know, in comic books in general is learn someone's secret identity. Um, it's, it's the most dangerous thing out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't feel good about Jada's uh, future. But I did love the scene where, you know, Ryan was after Ryan, you know, after Jada has figured out Ryan's identity and Jada just totally throws shade. So what do you want to do now? You've destroyed me twice. What are you going to do now? I, I like the fact that Ryan could be petty in that moment. Oh, yeah, it was 100 percent fantastic. I also liked what Robin Givens did in the scene on the feelings balcony when Ryan sort of did her Batwoman swoop down. You could see the pride in her eyes when um, when she sort of witnessed that, you know, sort of seeing Batwoman in a new light now that she knows that uh, Batwoman is her daughter. Now that the professor has said, you know, you learned the secret identity, we should be worried about you, now I am a little extra worried about Jada Jet. Like, this whole conversation was supposed to be therapeutic for me in believing that Jada Jet was going to survive past two episodes from now, but now I'm kind of worried ish and can i also just say to put a, a sort of like a, a button on this that conversation on that balcony should have included so you're going to call up the reporter lady right and be like i was wrong you know i was i i i made an assumption that it was batwoman's fault like you're going to like clear her name right right i mean even our girl vesper fairchild was talking about it so it's big news in gotham when vesper's on the case so, um, yeah, Jada, call up Vesper, call up Dana. I think her name is Dana DeWitt, uh, the the uh, Canadian actress that we always see as, like, the main reporter in Gotham. Like, call her up and clear Batwoman's name, please. Please. I'm begging you. Okay. Dimitri, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, the professor brought up Victor Zaz. You were not with us last season, so... We didn't really, I don't have, I don't know what your opinion is on Victor Zaz as a villain. Uh, this was a surprise for me. I was not expecting seeing Zaz in this episode. Not only seeing Zaz, but having him so front and center. Like, he had a really great scene with Marcus. Oh, I like your hair. Uh, they sort of uh, bond over murder mayhem, uh, murder death kill, and all that kind of stuff. And then we see him, you know, um, just yucking it up with uh, Jada and Ryan. What'd you think of the return of Victor Zaz, how he was used in the episode, as well as if you have any opinions on Jada Jet, period? Um, hi. So last season, I felt like he was primarily a vehicle for Ryan to establish her identity in the Batwoman mantle. Um, and, uh, you know, he talks about 
new look, new Batwoman, like da 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 da. Um, and I, I didn't see him too much as a character in his own right. This episode, I loved him. I thought, you know, the whole, like, when he's getting arrested, he's like, you two, you hit me right here. He had that, like, sardonic sense of humor. Um, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's clearly, you know, we've established that he's deranged, so he's not just, like, a, a trigger man just, you know, to collect a check. Um, this. He's, there's something about him enjoying this that looms over Ryan and Jada's, you know, sort of moments. You know, will he kill them? Will he not? Will he kill Jada? Will he not? Which is kind of kind of what I was wondering. I had a feeling Ryan was probably safe. Um, so I thought he they, they added a lot to his character in the writing. I thought the actor carried it off pretty well um, in sort of, you know, establishing this character as a standalone villain. Um, whereas I felt like a lot of the dialogue between him and Ryan last season was contrived. It was, it was about Ryan's identity much more than it was about him. And so I was surprised to see him back for that reason. Um, because it just, you know, the, the, the interaction before so felt so, uh, so much more like, uh, you know, we can't, we can't write in like, you know, um, growth over her identity in the suit, you know, over time. So we're just going to do it in this episode. Um, so, uh, I, I think he, you know, I, I hope they use him again. I, um, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, he has a, a sort of sardonic humor that's, that's good for a villain and yet different from say Alice. Um, it's not like a, it's not like a clone kind of situation. Um, it's very much like uh, his own personality on it, which I, which I appreciate. Yeah, I agree with you on all of that. I was really glad to see him again. The actor that plays him is is really good. And so I hope this is not the last time we've seen Mr. Zaz. Any additional thoughts from the rest of uh, my co-hosts about Zaz before? we move on and uh, chat about a little lady that uh, Dimitri just mentioned? Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with Dimitri. I absolutely loved Zaz. Um, you know, I liked him last time more than uh, Dimitri did, but I loved him this time. I thought he was fantastic. That, as, as Dimitri said, that line about, you guys got me here in the fields. Um, he was great, but everything up to that point as well, like his, from his first introduction to uh, Marcus to all the way through, he was just delightful. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, and I would have thought that Zaz is kind of a one-note character in the, the comics. He's not traditionally very interesting, but uh, this actor makes him very fun. He almost has a Deadpool quality to him. Oh, yeah, I like that compliment. Yeah, he, yeah, Zaz was everything. I'm so glad he was back, and uh, let's hope for more Zaz in uh, the next season. So let's talk about Alice and Mary, because uh, they get into some really interesting conversations this episode uh, uh, focusing specifically on their um, their emotional talks Mary is kind of reeling throughout the episode she doesn't know how she can deal with what she did and initially Alice is like you just got to bury the feelings bury 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 you know dig a huge hole in your body and bury 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 and then don't even think about it and you'll be good but she's like I'm not a sociopath and then later on um one of the characters ends up giving Mary some advice about you know you can't forget you have to atone for what you did uh we'll be talking about this character momentarily but Mary actually takes that to heart, even though Alice is like, you know, she's a sociopath. Like, why would you listen to her? But she's like, but there was some truth in what was said. And so Mary is going to go to, uh, I'm assuming it's the wake or the funeral of uh, the hunter that she killed in the woods. I will say no word on the pharmaceutical man that was vined up. <laughs> so he's out there somewhere. But um, after everything that happens, Alice has her own emotional revelation this episode. Uh, Mary has packed up 
some items for her so that she can make a run for it because the immunity deal has fallen through. There is no Renee Montoya. So Alice is is being hunted, per se. Uh, or at least there's a bolo out on her. Be on the lookout. Alice is like, no, I, I can't leave. Uh, you know, I need I need to stay. And what if I wasn't Alice anymore? What if I don't want to be Alice anymore? And so her idea is to use the Joker's joy buzzer to buzz herself so that she can be Beth again. Plot twist. I did not see this coming. I did not even think about this. Uh, For whatever reason, I feel like it's not going to work. Because I think we actually need Alice to do the hard work. But this was a twist. Professor, you love Alice. You love everything Rachel Scarston. What did you think of this revelation? Do you agree with me that this is not going to work and Alice is going to have to do the hard work? Well, it could do it both ways, which is that um, you know she gets the reset to Beth but remembers everything. But that's kind of what they're doing with Mary, right? You know, Mary has had the hard reset to the Mary persona, but still remembers everything and still feels the grief for it, uh, and and still feels responsible for everything. Um, I'm I'm thinking that you know if that did if they did it that way, and uh, you know Alice did remember everything. I mean, could you live with that? I mean, it, it would be crushing to realize what you've done. And we saw the analogy of that with, uh, you know, Joker's Tinkerer character, uh, someone who, you know, remained crazy because she was unwilling to do the hard work. But also, you know, I think it's the sort of thing that would drive you mad even if you did, you know, reset to, you know, factory settings if you still had the memories. Uh, But I don't see them doing that. I I think it it is a bit of a cop-out for Alice. I think they're setting it up more as the conflict between, you know, do you want to save Marcus or do you want to save Alice? And by the way, you know, the assumption that just pressing the joy buzzer against your head is going to, you know, reset you and get rid of your particular sociopathy if it wasn't caused by the Joker's... um, uh, hand buzzer, uh, you know, it is a bit of a leap, and I don't think the the team would would should necessarily accept that. You know, it is a simple one to one comparison. But no, I, I think you know, and again, Rachel's very good. Rachel Carson is is a tremendous actress, and the way she, you know, especially that line that you mentioned with Mary saying, "Well, I don't want to be a sociopath," you know, just that little look that uh, that Rachel gave Alice in that moment, you know, showing that it had hit home with Alice, and Alice realizing that, you know. Um, Maybe I am tired of this. Maybe I don't want to be doing what I've always been doing. I think it was very well acted. So even though it could have, it you know, did come as a surprise from a plot reason. I think you know Rachel did give us a good sense of you know uh, Alice's you know change, you know, particularly in her relationship to Mary over the past few episodes. So I think even though it did sort of come up seemingly a bit out of left field, I think when you look back on it, it was an earned moment. Yes, yes. Uh, Listen, I'm here for an Alice redemption. I don't know how we're going to go about it. I feel like it's way too simple just the buzzer in the head. Um, So I hope that she actually has to do the work. Because uh, as she learned in this episode, she, like, at least Ryan doesn't consider her a bad enemy. And she's like, hey, wait, hold up. Um, Wait, can we talk about this again? Yeah, yeah, I just, I I like that moment as well. So, uh, Let's see where this goes. Millie Wood, let's talk about Mary in this situation. The professor kind of handled all of the Alice stuff, but Mary, you know, goes through it in this episode as well. What did you think of Mary and her dealing with everything that she's done? Uh, There was a little fantastic line where, um, what was it? Alice says something to the gist of, I mean, sure, you can dye your blonde back to the natural color, but not, not dye your blonde, dye your hair back to the natural color. You know, go from the, the red to the to the brown. But, uh, yeah, just you know, bury your feelings like that. You know, hide. Hide all of those feelings. But uh, by the end of it, Mary decides that she can't do that. Poor Mary really went through it in this episode, which was expected. But I think more so, just she's already going, like, going through the emotions, but then you have, like, the bat team kind of babying her, and then Alice just giving her the cold, hard truth and, and telling her to kind of, like, suck it up um, in a way. So that was really funny. There's a lot of emotional whiplash. But I think it's exploring it in a, in a good way where it's not over dramatic and it makes sense. And, and, of course, at the end of the day, Mary is going to 
want to do something and it makes sense she wants to go attend the hunter's wake um because of that she she cares and um i am curious like where we go from here in terms of what else is mary going to do to try to atone for her um for what she's done um i do like how her and alice are both kind of on the same journey in terms of trying to to atone for something they did although you know one has to atone for more than what mary does but um at the end of the day they need that support and i think that it's an unlikely friend to have that support with Alice, but I do think that they'll be able to, I think, on this journey together, get even more close. And also, I think at the end of the day, she'll be able to come to peace of what she did and, and come out as a better Mary than um, when you know she started the season. Yes, I like it. Growth for both of them, and hopefully peace at the end of it all. So let's talk about uh, Marcus Jets. And Kiki Roulette, this episode. Marcus ends up uh, starting off the app uh, clearly uh, rehydrated and uh, ready to have some fun at Arkham. Uh, he announces that uh, Wayne Enterprises will be donating a whole bunch of money to Arkham because the real crazies are out there. It's that Batwoman. She's crazy, y'all, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, his real plan is to uh, create a work release program with the Arkham um, Asylum mates, and uh, he's bringing some of them on as his security. He also, that's where he hires Victor Zaz, and he gets a little intel from a little someone-someone about another little person. And that other person is uh, Kiki Roulette. So how we learn about Kiki Roulette is the bat team has the buzzer and so they they need to figure out how to fix it luke can't do it because his ai is in wayne enterprises and so they end up finding this kiki roulette through some intel from alice they track her down mary and alice team up to go chat with her she's under an alias and they end up convincing her to help because, you know, she, she wants to atone. She has been, you know, in therapy and then she understands that what she did was wrong. And if she can help one more person, the boy on the bus, then, you know, she'd be happy. So they go to the Joker's lair. She tinkers around. She fixes it. We realize, or she, she says, because it's so um, the wiring is corrosive or whatever, the circuitry, there's only enough for one buzz uh, and and that was the good news the bad news is is that uh marcus has no use for them yes marcus had chatted with kiki it's a whole thing there is a confrontation there there's a fight between uh batwing and sophie and marcus and his minions there's another fight between alice mary batwoman Kiki and more minions, and at the end of it all, Kiki does escape with the buzzer, and she meets up with Marcus, and they all do the Joker hee-hee-hee-ha-ha-hoo type of stuff. So, let's talk about Marcus, let's talk about Kiki Roulette. Did we see the double cross from a mile away? I will say this, maybe I'm gullible, I didn't see the double cross from a mile away, did we enjoy Judy Reyes as Kiki? I mean, I love me some Judy Reyes, so she was fantastic. Dimitri, I'm going to start off with you. Everything Marcus, everything Kiki, what'd you think? This was the Kiki uh, that Drake was talking about, right? To, <laughs> go ahead and say she doesn't love you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm conflicted. On the one hand, I love me some Judy Reyes, too. Um, you know, Scrubs always has a special place in my heart. That said, um, he, it really does feel like, um, this is, this is a character who's kind of like shoehorned in, um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we haven't like, uh, we haven't found like any trace of her before, um and uh like if if she's the one who created the joy buzzer 
why hasn't Jada tried to find her? Like, why hasn't Batman, like, apprehended her before? Yada, yada, yada. There's, like, a lot of questions surrounding her introduction. I'm I'm wondering what her role is going to be. Is she going to be, like, the Harley Quinn to Marcus's Joker? Um, it's, uh, it could be interesting. Um, I feel like we were sort of, we, we were duped by, like, a CW cliche in that, you know, you have to do the hard work. You have to, you know, you know, kind of some sort of atonement, um, ritual that's present in a lot of these shows. And, uh, it, it's interesting that like what she said rang so true, but also she like then pivots and, and kind of decides to decides to, or not decides to, I guess she had always planned to double cross the team. Um, but, uh, I, I guess it's really hard to, to predict how things will go with this supervillain because we only saw her as a supervillain for like 10 seconds. Um, that said, the fact that Marcus was seemingly always 10 steps ahead of them in this episode, I think adds to the menacing nature of his character. Um, and kind of, you know, makes the question, that we've been presented with that much more important. You know, do you save Marcus or do you save Alice? I do think it's a non-question. I do think it makes absolutely no sense because Alice is not Alice because of the joy buzzer. Even for someone who is themselves because of the joy buzzer, I mean, this is some serious Bugs Bunny science in terms of shock them again, they'll go back to normal. Um, But I do think at the very least, Kiki's presence and the double cross give credibility to to Marcus as like potentially the I don't want to say big bad because it doesn't feel like he's the big bad in the same way you have a big bad on other shows but he's definitely he's not just crazy he's very devious he's very cunning I'm wondering now that he's explicitly teamed up with Kiki what those two are going to do together yeah a mess is what they're going to do. Yeah. I did love seeing Judy Reyes scrub in to this role. Huh? I mean, she was just fantastic. Uh, she played sort of menacing really, really well. And I love the laugh. Like, the fact that they're all laughing, I love it. Uh, if we see some more of the Joker's toys, get into the mix. Come on. Bring it on. I'm here for it all. Uh, the Professor or, or Millie, any thoughts on Kiki? Well, the heel turn took me by surprise. Uh, I'd been, you know, convinced by her up to that point, and I think some of that, you know, as Dimitri was saying, Judy Ray is, is a great actress. You know, she's she's really good, and you know, she's she's very convincing. You know, both before the turn and after. So I think uh, her casting uh, was inspired. Uh, she was great, and and also, yeah, I, I love Marcus. You know, he he was you know chewing the scenery. He was you know playing his uh, his version of the Joker, and uh, sort of showing you know if you have the money, the things that you can accomplish in uh you know in a negative way and the fact that you know later on we do see that he has you know these arkham inmates still dressed in their you know inmate uh you know clothes uh there to be his backup it's uh it's kind of crazy to think that you know a rich person could do something like that but it's not that far-fetched oh yeah yeah ain't that the damn truth all right milliewood are we scared of marcus what do we think he has planned Definitely scared of him. As was mentioned, he has a lot of money. He seems to, you know, he's not dumb. Um, and he is, has planned this out. I don't know where we go from here. Um, because clearly he knows Ryan's identity and hasn't yet used that. Um, I, I mean, he is on the uh, more insane side. So maybe he just wants to wreak havoc in Gotham. I can kind of see where that's going. So um, I'm in for the ride. I was definitely surprised by the turns. I have no clue uh, where we're going to go from here. All right. Well, I I do have a question that I want to ask right now about where we go from here. We have a two-week hiatus. Thank you, Winter Olympics. There are only two episodes left. I will be asking bold predictions about the finale in the next podcast. But let's ask, let me ask right now for an, an extra bold prediction. 
from any of you. I don't know if anyone has a bold prediction in regards to does the joy buzzer get used? Who does it get used on? And do we think Marcus survives the season? Does anybody want to make a wager? Step up to the roulette wheel. Kiki's there. It's definitely getting used. Okay. I don't know who on. I really hope not, Alice, because that means we've abandoned all forms of logic. It's just like zap and <laughs> back. Like, um, I mean, you know, just zap them all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why why have Arkham, right? Why not just hook everybody up to a battery? Um, nah, I, I really hope uh, it uh, is not used on Alice. Um, I do feel like Marcus will probably die just because there's so many ethical questions surrounding him if he lives. Like, if they zap him back, you know, how does he live with everything he's done? Um, if they uh, if they don't zap him back, he is this figure who always has Ryan's identity to bargain with. It's uh, and, and, and has so much money that he can basically operate unchecked. Like, something's, something's got to give, and I feel like the easiest solution is that he will die. Um, but, uh, I also feel like, uh, the show is getting a little bit crowded in terms of villains who are insane. Um, so, uh, I guess we'll see, but I'm, I'm guessing Marcus won't make it through the season. Okay. We got a bold prediction from Dimitri. Does anybody else care to, uh, place a bet? Well, it's a Chekhov's joy buzzer right now, which means it's been introduced. It has to be used. I think the, the conflict will at for Alice will be that if she tries to use it on herself, that means they can't use it on Marcus. So I think the, the challenge for, for Alice will be, I think Alice will get it somehow. And it'll be come down to the team trying to persuade her to not do this crazy, as Dimitri said, Bugs Bunny kind of science on herself and instead allow them to Bugs Bunny science on uh, Marcus. Uh, my feeling is that if they kill Jada... Um, that they'll probably keep Marcus alive, but the Joy Buzzer thing will work, and he'll forget everything. And, and again, oh. talk about comic book tropes. I mean, that's the goal, the the Green Goblin trope, right? He just forgets everything, but there's always possibilities he'll remember. So I think they'll keep him around for that reason. The possibility that you know the the Joker tendency in him uh, could uh, could come back. And also, let's let's assume that someone does kill Jada uh, at the end of the season. That gives Ryan something to do next season which is track down the killer of her mother. Okay. And is the inverse the same for you, Professor? If they don't kill Jada, then they have to kill Marcus? Um, probably. I'd rather keep Marcus around, quite frankly, than Jada. Um, I think it's more interesting having him, you know, uh, and I think who knows, you know, how large a role he would play, you know, in the show next season. I think if Jada were around, having that mother figure for Ryan... Um, the cast is getting, you know, kind of big and kind of unwieldy. And, you know, The Flash has shown how difficult it is when you keep adding characters and don't, you know, prune the bush every once in a while, giving uh, enough people enough time. Now, Jaden would obviously never be a, a, a main character. But, yeah, I just, I feel it's it's more likely that they will get rid of her, uh, you know, the and, and you, know, you know, just more trauma for our, our beloved hero, heroine. Okay. All right. Milliewood, do you have a bet, or are you playing it safe? With the the way the show's gone, I can see someone dying. I'm torn if I want to be like Jada or Marcus, because I've grown to like both of them. Um, but kind of siding with the professor, it makes the most sense if Jada's the one that dies, just because of all that, um, you know, baggage that it can give on to Ryan. Because, I mean, as much as... Uh, she, we have gotten to know Marcus. I feel like she'd be more torn up over Jada's death than Marcus's death. Okay. If the professor's theory is correct, and we've all kind of had this theory, maybe, um, you know, if we haven't really been thinking about the fact that Ryan's father could be John Diggle, <laughs> sorry, I have to laugh, or uh, Lucius Fox, we've kind of thought maybe her father could be like a supervillain. So what if during the finale, Jada Jet makes this public thing because she loves talking to the press. And she's like, Ryan Wilder, 
is my long lost daughter and I love her so much. And then the supervillain father sees the thing and then ends up, for whatever reason, killing Jada for like keeping this from her. And then that sets off the mystery for the next season of who killed Jada. And then we're introduced to this, you know, supervillain father that is Ryan's dad. I don't think they're going to do that in exactly that way. But I could see something like that happening because that would trigger both things. We would get rid of Jada and then we would have the, the lingering question of who done it and uh, the, who the father is. I like that theory. I, I could totally see that happening. You know, last episode, Jada gets shot at the actual press conference. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised for her to admit that this is my daughter. And, you know, again, getting back to my longstanding theory that Ryan's uh, father is going to be a big, a big bad. Then that so that's up next season, not just being Ryan trying to find the killer of her mother, but to find out who her dad is. And and as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty sure it's, it's a big bad. Um, but um, I, I could totally see that happening. Uh, and then you know the the season would end with you know uh, you know Ryan probably cradling uh, you know Jada in her arms and you know vowing revenge on whoever did this to her. All right. So this is usually the point during the podcast where I ask if I missed anything, but I do know that I missed two things that I don't know if anyone here has anything to say about. So I will mention them. Uh, we didn't really talk about Luke's small storyline in this episode. He ends up getting the AI back, and he has a chat with his father. Which, uh, I mean, I guess it's is about as heartwarming as you can with uh, artificial intelligence. But uh, his, his AI father said that he's proud of him. So there was that little moment. And we did have two fight sequences. Uh, we had an awesome moment for Sophie where she was like, I can take care of myself. And she does. Uh, so I don't know if anyone here has anything to say in regards to the fight sequences or... Luke's a little moment with his AI papa or anything at all. If there was anything that I missed that anyone wants to chat about, this is the moment to do that before we head into the MVP. Luke's dead daddy needs to die. Oh my God. I mean, all you have to do is just, you know, take the batteries out, but really, I, I feel like it, it could be such a smothering thing for his character. If he literally has this AI to talk to whenever he's stumped, like, Turn it off. Let yourself grow. I I was really hoping he was going to say, like, I wanted you to realize you could do this on your own, and now I'm going to erase myself from the suit. The suit is yours to control or something. Instead of just, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm going to hang out just, you know, um, whenever you want, you know, the family beef stew recipe, hit me up. Like, just. Well, I mean, we need the beef stew recipe, I'm just saying. Let the dead daddy die. Let Luke be his own person. I, I feel like his character development could be could really go south if you keep this AI around. Well, uh, I like the uh, the sort of you know callbacks to classic Joker. So you know, seeing you know in uh, uh, you know in the in the layer, you know the uh, the 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 stuffed. Uh, Oh, the, the stuffed teddy bear and the gun that shoots the bang, uh, and uh, later when Marcus is finding the uh, the vials of Joker gas. Um, so I love those callbacks and and the uh, the the, the shout out to Harleen Quinzel. The Doctor Harleen Quinzel shout out was spectacular. Yes, I, I co-signed that. Uh, I don't think they would ever bring her onto the small screen outside of the little animated series she's got on HBO Max. She is a big screen type of character, although we did have Batman for, or at least Bruce Wayne, for a couple episodes, so anything can happen. I don't think we're going to ever get Harley Quinn, but the fact that she exists, and clearly she was the um, informant that uh, you know gave uh, Marcus the deets on Kiki was beautiful. I mean, let's not yes. forget, Poison Ivy was a big screen villain. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that is true. Although, we didn't get her a lot, but we did actually see her. We got basically the Bruce Wayne treatment for uh, Poison Ivy, which I don't mind. Actually, I don't mind if we get a top-tier bat villain to return for, like, a couple episodes. Like, I don't think they should use someone like, you know, the Penguin or uh, Harley Quinn or Catwoman as a season bad, 
big bad is mm-hmm. what i'm saying but bringing him in you know like as a legacy type of character you know maybe there's you know much like we saw in this season where there was a poison ivy um replacement and so she comes in and and does her thing like i don't mind that you know in essence we're getting the joker without getting the joker with marcus and and i think it can work in that way yeah so it's time for the mvp the most valuable player state which character impressed you throughout the episode and why once a character has been chosen they cannot be selected again so choose wisely let's see hmm Let's start off with uh, the professor. For me, Victor's ass. Uh, you know, I enjoyed him the first time. I absolutely loved him this time. I thought he stole all the scenes that he was in. He was a great foil. That, that scene where he just, oh, hey, Ryan. Oh, my God. Just so funny. And as I say, you know, just the right tone. You know, because, you know, it's, it's been a little dark to have, you know, him, you know, uh, playing, you know, the, 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 you know, still a threatening uh, you know, uh, villain, but uh, a funnier one. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I thought he was great in this episode. A fantastic choice. Millie Wood, what about you? Who's your MVP and why? I'm going to have to go with Ryan. Just the overall, so much from the, like, the emotional moments to the, like, fight sequences. I mean, they had Javita doing everything, and she did it so well, especially, I think, I mean, obviously, her and Jada was the highlight, but then also the development with her and Sophie, um, just super stellar, kind of. There, it, it was a everybody-gets-a-moment-to-shine episode, but Ryan, like, especially shined. Fantastic choice. So we've got uh, Victor Zaz, we've got Ryan. Dimitri, what about you? As much as I didn't like um, like the logic behind her being Salty Sophie, I gotta say Megan Tandy like, gives a hilarious Salty Sophie. And then obviously the scene at the end of the episode was perfection, so uh, I gotta give it to Sophie. Another fantastic choice. And I'm going to give uh, the MVP to, I'm like torn between two, and they were they were paired up together, so y'all know who I'm talking about, but I'm going to go with Alice because of the choice she made at the end, where she wants to be Beth again. Like, I did not see that coming, and I'm glad it happened. I, I thought both of them together were fantastic. I thought Rachel was uh, spectacular, as always. But having her get that little bit of character development in this episode, as well as giving her the line of, wait, I'm not a, I'm not a bat enemy anymore. I'm a frenemy, whatever, or something. Uh, I, I thought that was really good for the character. And uh, I'm so excited to see where this goes for Alice in, uh, well, the next two episodes for the season and, uh, you know, for the next season as well. Uh, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 bat signals? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the bat cave. Dimitri, you are first. Where do you stand? Oof. As much as there were things I disagreed with in this episode, I feel like it's got to have an archive. I mean, the the ending scene was obviously so iconic. There was so much great humor throughout this episode, but it didn't derail the episode in terms of, you know, the, the menacing villains were still menacing. Um, you know, the the shaky team dynamics still felt like we got to bring this together or we're not going to be able to land this plane. This was so enjoyable. I would rewatch it again. You know, you, you worry about the characters, you chuckle, and obviously the end is just the payoff that Wildmore fans have been waiting for forever and ever and ever. I think Cameron's slayed his directorial debut um i'm hoping he directs more episodes in next season and yeah i think this is one that's going to go down in bad woman history well damn well starting off incredibly strong with an archive in it technically would be the not bat cave right now because we don't have access to the bat cave let's see uh millie wood bring us back down to reality how, how would you rate this episode? I have to agree with uh, something that Dimitri said. Cameras 
absolutely slayed this episode. He did a fabulous job. Um, and what I really liked about it, it was a slow build. It was very, um, it starts off kind of calm and it just goes and builds, but not in like a bad chaotic way. Um, you get all of the very emotional, like really huge emotional moments. Then you have Victor's ass in the background making jokes, but it doesn't seem like bad or, or attacking anyway and just all the development um and then of course the ending with wildmore it was just a very solid enjoyable episode but also very pivotal as well um which and it sets it up for kind of amazing that you still have two more episodes to go considering how good this was and because of that i will also have to be, agree with dimitri and archive this episode oh wow okay I hope everybody was sitting down for that because Milliewood does not archive that often. Okay, the back cave, the not back cave, is getting a little crowded. Uh, Professor, what about you? Not to be influenced by peer pressure or anything like that. Live your truth, much like Milliewood does every week. How would you rate this episode? No, how can I, uh, you know, argue against that? You know, as Dimitri said, it wasn't just a great episode. And, you know, cameras did a fantastic job directing it. It built beautifully. It had a great deal of humor that didn't detract uh from uh from the seriousness of it and you know we got you know what is really a pivotal moment in the wildmore relationship which is you know been such a part you know of the show you know simmering on the back burner for the past two seasons to finally get this this you know resolution of it even more so than the kiss the kiss was important this was the thing that changes everything um so yeah this is obviously an, an archivable show and I will co-sign with everybody. I'm sending it straight to the archives. It was a fantastic episode. Another episode that I was on the edge of my seat. Everyone just gave incredible performances and props to cameras for, for directing this. I believe it was his directorial debut in, in regards to just filming an episode of television. So props to him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I thought that I read that somewhere. So props to him. For doing that also i'll just say this as like a blanket props props to the arrowverse in particular for allowing their actors to get the chance to go behind the camera cameras is is just the latest in a long line of arrowverse actors that actually get the chance to not only direct episodes of their own show but sometimes they go on much like david ramsey and they go on and and, and tom cavanaugh and they go on and direct other episodes of other arrowverse shows so props to them for giving their own talent a chance to uh, expand some of their hollywood dreams um, i think that's incredibly awesome and uh, yeah just point blank at the period uh, this was a fantastic episode unfortunately we are heading into a a short hiatus that's going to feel extremely long because this episode was so damn good like i want to know what's going to happen next right now but unfortunately we have to wait so on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of the gotham city gazette here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us follow poppy chula radio on social media we are on facebook instagram twitter at poppy chula radio do you have any questions suggestions comments or concerns email us via contact at poppychularadio.com are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for the Gotham City Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Dimitri. Good night, Gotham City. You're not going to talk about melanin cuddles. Oh, and good night, Gotham City. And if you want, you can follow my new webcomic, at Melanin Cuddles, on Instagram. It's incredibly adorable. Speaking of incredibly adorable, Millie Wood. Good night, Gotham. Second, go follow Dimitri's comics. It is adorable. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at the Asian Nerd. And the Professor. Oh, so I'm not adorable now? God, why do I even bother? Uh, Good you, night, you're always listeners. adorable. Because you're, you're, you're the adorable you're listeners. the paragon of cool. <laughs> Good night, listeners. <laughs> Again. Did you say paragon of cool or paragon of 
fool. I, I just wanted to clarify. He said cool. There was a hard C. Your your internet connection must be a little weak. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I will say just, just he did profess himself the paragon of cool. This was during the crisis. It's, it's a crisequence that we're still dealing with. But you know what? It is factually accurate. Thanks for tuning in. A quick little programming note, as I've been saying throughout this podcast, Batwoman will be going on hiatus uh, during uh, the airing of the Winter Olympics, so it will not be airing for the next two weeks, so that means we will be returning in three weeks with a brand new installment of the podcast. You can download new episodes of the Gotham City Gazette every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. He is the paragon of cool. And as adorable as a Bebo. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is. That's true, too. I'm, I'm just, like, imagining a Bebo, but, like, in tweed, in, like, a stereotypical professor outfit, like, teaching glasses. Professor, and do that's, you wear that's tweed? That's what you look like. Uh, I have a tweed jacket with uh, elbow patches, but I, I almost, well, certainly for the past two years, uh, I haven't even bothered wearing a tie, so uh, oh, okay. I haven't been uh, dressing up for class. Yes, it was pandemic chic.